10 to 1, episode 63. Top 10 Board Games 2017. the podcast where we make top 10 lists about everything. I'm Melissa Kozer. And I'm Brian Kozer. It's time for another top 10 board games of all time list. We did it last year, did the year before. And uh, both times we had special guests, I believe. Or we just, just was it just last, last year? year? Yeah. All right, just last year. Well, again, we have a special guest and it's our friend Clint Patterson. Welcome to the podcast, Clint. Hey, great to be on the podcast. All right, so why don't you tell us about how you got into board gaming and how you met us and why you're qualified to make a list about top 10 board games. All right, uh, well, you know, like a lot of people, I started board gaming, uh, the more traditional board games with uh, friends and family, and then uh, the last 10 years or so played some more modern board games with uh, friends, things like Catan and that sort of thing. Um and had a good time with those, but didn't get too interested in them just because, uh, you know, it can be difficult for a lot of people to find an active play group. Um, as far as how I met you guys, actually, uh, Brian and I worked together at the same company a few years ago and uh, worked in the same department, but not on the same team. <laughs> and I believe it was uh, at a company-sponsored luncheon one day. We were next to yeah. each other in line. And I thought, oh, it's one of those times where you can say, well, I'll just shuffle along for three minutes and get my <laughs> hot dog and go sit with people I know and do it. But I thought, well, what the heck, you know, I'll, I'll talk to this guy. And uh, yeah, I don't remember who actually initiated the conversation, but we were both game. Probably you. And, uh, and I think we played, I noticed you had a uh, tower, dice tower con yeah. tag one day. Yep. It was like a... Uh... What's it called for holding a badge? A uh, a lanyard? Lanyard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed yep. you had a Dice Tower Con lanyard one day, and I asked you about it, knowing that it was board games, and you're like, oh, yeah, we went on you know, the Dice Tower <laughs> cruise, and I was like, okay. and uh, uh, Not the cruise, the uh, convention. Yeah, the convention, that's right. Yeah. Um, but within a couple of weeks, we were playing board games together, the three of us, uh, after work one day, and hmm. uh, just kind of became friends from there, I guess. And then in the last few years, uh, I've played probably more board games than the previous 10 years combined between <laughs> three of us and some other friends in our group. Maybe better board games than the last Certainly better board games, yeah. A lot of Certainly uh, for us. I'd actually been reading about all these great board games that were interesting, but, you know, finding five people to play mm. a three-hour board game is right. tough at times. <laughs> so uh, a lot of it was, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to play this. So it's a good time. Cool, cool. All right. Well, I'm excited to get into this list because I'm curious if anything's changed for Melissa's list. And I don't really have any idea what your favorite games are, Clint, because every time we go to the board game store and play games with you, you're always like, yeah, whatever. I'm I'm good to play whatever. Yeah, you're like you're, one you're, of the most uh, easy to get along with. I was going to say, you're pleased by <laughs> that any know. game that we play. You're always like, yeah, that was a good game. Like I said, for yeah. the first several months that we played games together, a lot of times it would be like, oh, I've always wanted to play this game or this game. And so yep. yeah. just the, the newness of a lot of games early on, it was like, yes, I liked this game. And then <laughs> right. a little more discerning now, I think. But uh, definitely for the first several months, it was I liked this game because it was new and fun. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm definitely interested to hear what your favorites are. 
Uh, Melissa, before we start, did you have anything you want to talk about how you made your list? Um, Any predictions you want to make about our list? Well, as usual, my list is purely based on my feelings. There might not be very much rhyme or reason to it, but it was a lot harder to make my list this year. Uh, a lot of the uh, stuff that just missed the top ten, I kind of feel pretty much all the same about it. So uh, we made, I think we all made like our top 20. And really my uh, f- five through, or my six through 20, I feel very similar on just about all of them. And so it was only the top five that I was like, yeah, these are solidly in place. And so it was really hard to decide what which ones were going to make those those last five. That's interesting to hear because I think listening to your all your podcasts in general, one of the things that's interesting to me is I like making lists, but maybe more tiered lists where things aren't exactly sorted. It's sorted. It's mm. uh, okay. These are kind of the best, and then here's kind of in the middle, and then you know more like orders of magnitude. Um, <laughs> so I always enjoy how specific when you'll mention, oh, that's my number thirty-two. And it's <laughs> so precise and so exact. So uh, exactly numbering these was was a fun time and a new experience for me. I'm good. Yeah, I feel like as a fellow programmer, Clint, you really need to be assigning numeric values to to each of these. Let's go into the uh, decimal places with your, with these <laughs> rankings. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, same as Melissa. For some reason, it was really hard to make the list this year. And even tonight, like uh, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 minutes ago, I was still, or an hour ago, I was still rearranging things on the list. So uh, I'm definitely... Definitely interested to see where everything shook out for everyone, and why don't, we, why don't we get into it? I will say one last thing is uh, we've been trying to do this podcast with you for a little while now, Clint, and it's just kind of been getting pushed off to the next week or whatever, and it really actually wasn't until today that I was finally able to pick out, yeah, I really do think that these are the top ten. So like feeling... I said, it was hard, but uh, it wasn't until today that I've really felt at peace <laughs> <laughs> with how it turned out. So, all right, let's go ahead and finish with all this. Yeah, one more thing I'll add real quick is that uh, I felt like we didn't play too many new games in 2017 compared to previous years, but we actually did both play, uh, you and me and Melissa, 31 new games. Plus, I played six new games that you didn't play, and you played at least one that I did not. So, I mean, 32 to 37 new games, still pretty pretty good number, especially for having another child and moving to a new house, moving to a new house and, and all those busy things that we were doing. So, All right, well, let's just finish with all this foo-for-all and get started. Okay, so my number 10 is one that has made the list in previous years, and it just squeaked in. And it's Dice Town. So it's a game where everybody's rattling five dice in their cups, and they are uh, poker hands, basically, on these dice. And depending on what you get, you can get certain rewards for if you've got all kings or all queens or jacks or whatever. And it's kind of fun because uh, you're going for 
maybe all kings, but other somebody else might be going for all kings as well. And so you're you're rolling these dice at the same time. And I, I really like that kind of push your luck gambling aspect. Uh, I, this is probably the closest I'll ever go to gambling, but it's really <laughs> fun. And uh, I think it makes a more lighthearted game out of poker. Maybe makes it appealing to everybody and not just those who have been and uh, who are super good and smart at it. So that's my number 10, Dice Town. Uh, yeah, interesting. So you had that one on your list as number six last year. It's number 84 on my list right now. I did sort out a few more than just 20. <laughs> um, and that's not to say it's a, a bad game. It is It is a really good fun game. Uh, I think a little more light than my top favorite games, but it is a fun one. I really enjoy any game, too, that has uh, just the feeling of slamming the dice down and then trying oh, to decide, well, do I have enough kings to think I can win the king's right. uh, building and get those? Because that's what I really want. But that's fun, a fun mechanic. My number 10 is uh, definitely not a light game. Maybe the heaviest game that we own. It is Dungeon Pets. It was number five on my list last year. Still enjoy it. Uh, still like putting together the collection of little uh, monsters that you have and um, they're a little bit unpredictable with the needs that they're going to have and so it's a whole lot of planning a ton of planning but then there is that element of you're not quite sure what's going to happen with those animals what they're going to choose to do and you still uh, might have them break out of their pens and run off and so it's it's still it's still a really good game. I think it's one that I don't always want to think that hard for that long, um, and then be disappointed with uh, that them randomly running off. But it's still one that I really enjoy. Yeah, this is one I'd be interested in playing with you guys sometime. It's uh, one of those I think Czech Games edition. Yes, CGE makes yep. it. Flodish Waddle. Yeah, he's the designer and. Uh, that's one I've been really interested to play for a while, but all their games, I feel like the heavier Euro games in here are just so uh, brain burning and Mm -hmm. I can understand liking it, but not wanting to play it all the time. Right. Yeah. We should, uh, we should definitely play this one with you sometime. I don't know. I'm always game for it when it comes up. So uh, I don't know. It, it just depends on the the brain burning for me, but, uh, and one of the things with these heavier games is that, Usually, there's a heavy learning curve, so the first time you play it, you're probably not going to win, but with this one, the first time I played it, I won. Oh, wow. So, I think... With a little help. Well, yeah. (laughs) But if you don't help the first timers, (laughs) you're just basically a jerk. (laughs) All right, so that's my number 10, Dungeon Pets. My number 10 is Agricola, All Creatures Big and Small. Uh, This is a two-player variant uh, that's kind of uh, has some thin-down rules from a more popular game called Agricola. Um, Both games, you're a subsistence farmer. Um, You're you're trying to fight to uh, grow a farm out. But one nice part of this one that's a little more stressful in the full-fledged version is you don't have to feed a family every turn. So uh, (laughs) this is kind of a contentious element of the original. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Mm -hmm. Uh, and this one, each player starts with a small farm, and you have a variety of options every turn. You can choose to grow your plot of land or uh, fence in parts of your land or gather different animals. 
Um, and it's just a, it's a really tight game. It's a lot quicker than a lot of big Euro games, but it still has a lot of meaningful decisions. And uh, every turn, you're caught between, well, I really need to go get that wood so I can build more fences. But if I leave those pigs, do I think I can leave the pigs one more turn and they're not going <laughs> to get that, that big bounty of pigs? Well, uh, and so it's it's got a lot of great decisions and uh, it can have some really successful turns when your strategy works or some really bitter turns when uh, the person you're playing against just keeps taking the food troughs and you can't I fit know. all your animals. Uh. Um, and so this is actually an interesting one because I think this is the only one on my list that I've never played uh, an analog copy of. Uh, we've mm-hmm. Alex and I have only played. Uh, this is my girlfriend Alex and I have only played on an iPad hmm. uh, on the iOS version. Um, the I've, I've been scouring forums to see when it's going to be republished, and the company that produces it has been in various issues with a repackaged version. So, hmm. still hoping they're going to put out a physical copy this year. But um, yeah, it's just a great game. the The one downside to it is the base game has a little. Uh, it's a little short on variety after a few plays, so it's one that the expansions for it really help, and I think the republished version is going to have all of the expansion content uh, packaged into it in a, one bigger box, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, that's my number 10, Agricola, all creatures big and small. Well, you and I will have to check this out, Brian. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds interesting, and I know my my taste for Agricola has diminished over the years, especially this last year we pulled it out after not having played it for a while, and it just wasn't the same for me. Uh, I know it used to be. It was the second game that we ever bought, like, gamer game. Mm-hmm. And we used to really love it, and it's just really sunk for me. I will Spoiler, say is it didn't make my list. As a bit of encouragement, I'll say that Alex loves uh, Agricola, all creatures big and small, and we borrowed Agricola from you guys and played it a few times, and she was not a fan of regular Agricola. So <laughs> okay. uh, I think it's possible you could like one and not like the other still. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it seems like with that game, they took out the parts that a lot of people didn't like and, and left in the parts that people really did like, like the animals. Yeah, so. no, and the animal, you get the little animal meeples too, and that's just mm-hmm. kind of fun to have them organized in the different pastures and everything. There's something so delightful about a pig shaped like a pig instead of <laughs> just a little pink block or something, you know, representing a pig. For sure, for sure. All right, so moving on to my number nine is actually not a gamer game. Uh, and I am kind of surprised I'd overlooked it in previous years. I think it was more just kind of cult of the new back in previous years, and now I've kind of had time to sit back and really think about how I feel about other games versus older games. And so this one is called Dutch Blitz, and it's a (laughs) card game where you've got your, your deck of 10 cards and you're trying to get them flipped out face, face up in the middle. Uh, before the other players can get theirs face up in the middle. And uh, it ultimately comes down to speed and skill. How fast are you at at flipping cards and uh, keeping an eye on what's going out in the middle of the table while you uh, shuffle through your hand. And uh, a lot's going on all at once. And it's definitely harder if you haven't done it as often. Uh, There is definitely a high learning curve with this one. But I love the craziness, the intensity of it. Even when I don't lose or I don't win. And uh, 
it's it's still just a lot of fun even as long as as long as I can get a fair number of cards out it's really frustrating when I play with somebody who instantly wins over and over and over and there are a few people like that <laughs> So it's one of those games where it's fun to play with people who are at your skill level, mm. let me say. Or maybe not as good as you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my number nine, Dutch Blitz. I'll say I haven't even heard of this game. Is this one, does it play just two or can it go up to a large number? Two to four. Okay. If you have an extra deck, then you can you can go up to eight, but then it gets really Don't wacky. do it. It's fun. Stick at four. Stick to four. Just the description alone reminds me in tone of uh, growing up, we would play pit at my grandparents' house. Right. It's similar. And it's that same, it sounds like that same yeah. mad rush of Very just mad. yelling and people slamming cards down and grabbing cards. And I guess mm-hmm. maybe not grabbing, but uh, I can imagine it being a lot of fun. If you like pit, you'll like Dutch Blitz. I wouldn't say that. There's a little bit more involved with Dutch Blitz. Um, but it is a good game. I like it. Uh, some of my most memorable gaming experiences especially from before we played uh, or from yeah before we got married I, I guess i'd say or playing dutch blitz with my family staying up late with uh my brother and a couple sisters and um you know sneaking out into the kitchen getting snacks and then going and playing dutch blitz that was a lot of fun and that being said not in my top 100 anymore what a good game Cult of the a That's fun game you are. for sure just not one i would necessarily pick to play so my number nine it was my number eight last year so right about in the same spot roll for the galaxy and if you've played puerto rico or if you've played race for the galaxy similar concept but with dice just love the whole uh, cycle of getting your dice and uh, putting them out onto the board making uh, goods, producing goods on your planets, and shipping goods, and then uh, just uncovering more tiles for your technologies and planets you're discovering. And I don't know, there's a lot going on in the game, so it's hard to teach initially, but it's a pretty simple game, and you're not really doing a whole lot. So you might be intimidated looking at it, it's really not that bad. And I don't know, I like I like a lot of the things with it with trying to figure out what your opponents are going to be doing. If you can predict what they're going to do, it can really help out uh, what you're doing. And then there is a lot of dice rolling, but uh, the farther you go in the game, the more you can manipulate your dice. And to the point where at the end of the game, you can pretty much do whatever you want with the dice uh, because you're just uh, using them in different ways to, to manipulate uh, the different actions you can take and how strong your different actions are. So uh, I like it. I like how quickly it plays, how you can really build up your engine and um, go in different directions. So Melissa's not as big a fan of it, but... All right, now that you've praised it up and down, let me just tear down these walls that you've built out of straw. Okay, so this is not an easy <laughs> game to teach. You know why? Because the I said iconography... It, I, I said it's not an easy game yeah, to teach. Yeah, and you know why? It's because the okay. iconography is horrible. That's not it bad. It doesn't make sense. It does make sense. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I remember this one being... And, you're a big fan of it last year, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I'm not the only one. In fact, we've tried we've tried teaching this to other people too, and they're like, "Well, this doesn't make sense." And you keep on having to explain to them, "Well, this does this, and that means that." 
And, oh, okay. And what does this mean again? Because it just is not intuitive. And, yes, ideally, you can get to the end of the game and have a whole lot of dice and be able to do a whole lot of things, but not necessarily. And this game is kind of broken in that way that... Uh, it's if you really play poorly, then you won't do well at the end of the game. To watch if that's broken in a game, else, everybody else have loads and loads of dice and loads of options, and you're still stuck rolling two dice turn after turn after turn, and there's nothing you can do to change that. Well, there was something you could do to change it, actually. No, but there wasn't. I that's neither here well. nor there. Well. <laughs> I'll say this one's one I've seen on your shelf a number of times, and if something about it always mm-hmm. calls out. It, it seems oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah. but I also will say every time I've gone to look at it on BGG to be uh, Board Game Geek, that's a big database of all the board games and everything. Yep, um, I've gone to look at it to be try to uh, compel my interest more, and I always see those dice, and I think, "Ooh, dice! These look fun," and I also think. Oh man, I'm gonna have to look up and see what these icons uh-huh. mean <laughs> because they uh-huh. mean nothing to me no, in this picture. No, no, no. no. There's a spoken. very handy chart in the back of your player shield. It explains everything. No, it does not. It is the. It's one of. The, I'm gonna say it's the worst player shield chart <laughs> no. I have ever seen. I'll say my opinion is solely as an ignorant person who hasn't looked at the rules, so that's not. But. But it certainly didn't immediately tell me, oh, that's lasers or that's shields. Thank or... you. Thank you. But the you did say that as an ignorant person, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> this is still a game that I play merely to please my husband. He wants to play a game and bless his heart, he chose that one again. Sure. I'm going to play it because I cherish my time spent with my husband, even if it is playing some stupid game. So does that mean you've got a, a roll for the galaxy date in a couple of weeks on Valentine's Day? I think it might. <laughs> what a great idea. Thank you, Clint, for coming over. You're fired, Clint. So that's my number nine, roll for the galaxy. My number nine is Arctic Scavengers. Uh, this is a deck building game where everyone starts out with the same 10 cards um, that composes uh, randomly drawn first two hands of five cards. And from there, each player builds out uh, their tribe in a frozen post-apocalyptic wasteland, uh, with the goal being to be the most flourishing tribe at the end of the game. Um, This is really neat because you have an option of ways to build the deck that you end up drawing from over and over again. Um, There's cards that represent tools that are really helpful, but if you get too many tools, you might draw a hand of just shovels and pickaxes with nobody to use them, and then they're just inanimate objects sitting on the ground that can't be used. <laughs> um, it has two... Uh, the theme is pretty neat, but the two things I really like about it is, one, at the beginning of the game, several of your initial cards are refugees, and those are totally pointless aside from just giving you victory points at the end of the game. And so a lot of deck-building games um, have this idea of filler cards that are kind of dead weight during the game until the end when they give you points, but the uh, the theme of the refugees being, uh, you know, these are helpless people in your tribe that are looking <laughs> for uh, shelter and security, and you're pretty uh, you're pretty compelled at the beginning of the game to literally discard them into a junkyard, take them on a search, and say, "Yeah, uh, why don't you look over here?" and then leave <laughs> them uh, while you build up this fearsome gang of 
you know, all sorts of rough and tumble guys through the cards you collect. And then near the end of the game, when everyone sees the incoming, suddenly you're compelled to rush back to the junkyard and begin searching through these scraps to find these refugees you've left to languish all game to try to build up your tribe again with these poor people that you discarded earlier. So I really like that bit. Um, and also every round offers a hidden resource that's contested that you have the option of holding back cards and not using to put forward solely to battle everyone else. And uh, so this can be a variety of things. You can save a bunch of really great combat cards and just lay waste to everyone and claim the resource. Or if you did draw a hand of shovels and pickaxes, you can still hold back a huge hand and try to bluff your way into winning those contested resources. And then sometimes everyone else goes, oh, wow, Clint's got a whole army waiting. I'm just going to use all my cards during the round and not contest him. And the shadows pull back and it's just the silhouettes of shovels standing, scaring everyone away. <laughs> other times, maybe everyone comes to fight with actual soldiers and finds your shovels laying on the ground and claims the resources. So that's a really nice bluffing element um, that I enjoy. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. So that's my number nine, Arctic Scavengers. I will say when Brian borrowed this from you, and we played it. I was not interested at all, and I was kind of dreading playing it. And then we <laughs> played it, and I just started beating him in round after round after round. And I was like, this is kind of fun. And Brian's happy smile, like, yeah, we're going to play a new game, started to slip. And by the end of the game, he was like, well, how'd you feel about the game? <laughs> I was like, I had fun. How about you? <laughs> yeah no, I had fun uh, I really like the theme a lot and uh, I did have fun playing it even though I, I kept getting out bluffed by you Melissa but uh, I uh, feel I didn't feel that it was significantly different from some of the other deck building games we played like Dominion and Trains and um, so it is definitely different you mentioned some of the differences but um uh, for me, I don't know. I like deck building. I like the concept of deck building, but I've found that uh, there's not too many games on top of deck building that have like struck me as I really, really like it. So, uh, although there is one I'll mention later that that I did really like uh, the the game put on top of it. Um, so yeah, Argus Scavenger is not in my top 100, but a very good game. A good choice, Clint. I would say as well, for a deck builder, uh, a lot of them have a little less element, aside from drawing your hand, of course, and the statistical planning there mm -hmm. and stuff, it has a little more element of uh, draw, push your luck, even in the gathering of resources in one of the True. mechanics. And True. so that can be a little frustrating at times if you, in your head, you think, I'm playing <laughs> better than Brian and Melissa, but I just, you know, they keep getting all the medicine or whatever. So it has some elements that can be frustrating if you have a particularly bad luck game, for sure. And I would say probably the most interactive between players of the deck builders that I've played, as opposed to you're, you're playing your own game. Yeah, that's definitely a so, distinctive element as well. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Actually, you're talking about bad luck. Uh, that takes me back to my number 10, Dice Town. Uh, one of the things I like about that game is that you can have bad luck and still do well in the game. So anyway, that was for free. <laughs> All right, so my number eight was my number 10 last year, and it is the game called Seasons. Hmm. And this is a pretty constant one on my list. 
uh, from year to year. It's a game set in a fantasy world, and you're playing cards, trying to get the most points, and you're rolling dice that'll allow you to do different things. And it's just a super gorgeous game, and while I don't feel that it's super heavily thematic, sometimes it's easy. you could just step back and, and feel that you're just playing a bunch of mechanics. They're really fun mechanics, and the game is just such a a treat to look at. It's it's pure candy. Uh, so I've always enjoyed this game, and it's my number eight, Seasons. Yeah, I would say the art on this game just looks really incredible. I think it mm-hmm. really stands out, and I also like the idea of a like a collectible card game type uh, competitive yep. game, but the one that you don't have to spend hours ahead of time researching and acquiring new yes. cards and all that some people enjoy that aspect but that's not really my favorite so i like that it provides that experience without the other experience it's not as fun yeah i definitely agree like i enjoyed playing magic the gathering the one or two times i played it but i would definitely play this game over over magic or or some of those other games where they expect you to do more and yeah i agree about the art uh i think this is my favorite board game art in any game so oh well good choice good choice Okay, my number eight is a game that was really high on my list a couple years ago, dropped off last year, and then we played with some new expansions this year, and it's back up on the list at number eight, Ticket to Ride. Just the really simple, uh, I mean, you can almost play it, you can play it really casually, just sitting around chatting and eating and picking up cards and playing cards and building your trains around the map, or you can play it a little bit more... uh, a little Very bit more gamerly, yeah, <laughs> and start, uh, you know, cutting each other off and making, um, you know, if you start memorizing what different routes are in the deck and things like that, or or calculating different, uh, <laughs> those games get so vicious. Different things like that, you could you could really go really deep into it. I I, I enjoy playing it a little bit more casually than that, but. Yeah, just, uh, I don't know. I like trains. I like maps, especially in games. And so this one, I don't know, this one really hits well for me. We got to play with a few new maps this year. We played Netherlands, I think, and UK and Pennsylvania. I think those might have been the three new ones we played and had fun with those. I think Pennsylvania might have been my favorite of the three. Netherlands is also really good. So, yeah, uh, definitely... Definitely want to keep playing this one. It's one I can. I feel like I can play with people that aren't into games, or we can play it you and me, or we can play it with uh, your brother Tim or or others. So, yeah, it's uh, it's probably one that I'll I'll always like, even if it's not always top ten. This year it is though. Yeah, I would say this game is pretty much an evergreen. It it fits well with pretty much any group. I would say, too, this is one that's actually on my list of shame of one of the most popular board games that I have still yet to oh, ever really? play. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we definitely need to play this one with you then. I think uh, the one highest on our list of shame is Carcassonne. Yeah. Uh, I played the app of it once, but I don't even think you've played the app of it. Never played Carcassonne. All right. Well, that was my number eight, Ticket to Ride. My number eight is Flamme Rouge. Uh, that is... Uh, f- French for red flame, 
which is in reference to the flag they fly at the Tour de France uh, for the last, I think it's one kilometer. Um, so this is a bike racing game. Um, I've played a few other racing games, but I think this is my favorite one that I've played. Each each person has two uh, two racers. One racer is uh, more of a domestique who's got uh, is able to move a little faster on average, but his top speed is much slower. And then you have this other glory boy racer that you want lagging <laughs> behind, just kind of uh, <laughs> lollygagging for most of the race until the very end when he uses his incredible top speed to hopefully jump out and beat everybody um but this is a really interesting game each each racer you have has a small deck of cards and each card can only be used once so you know if you use that card to go six spaces and it's your last one of the two or three sixes you have well then there's no more sixes to be had so you know hope you used them well um so that's there's an interesting element there each each turn you draw a hand for one of your racers and you can pick which racer first and you pick a card to play for them and then you draw a couple of cards for your other racer and you kind of just have to hope that they work out maybe you draw a hand of only really fast cards for your guy that's hoofing it for the other guy and then your sprinter draws all twos and threes and you think well <laughs> i guess the sprinter's gonna fall behind um it also has some neat elements where uh kind of replicate the idea of drafting and pace lining in actual bike racing it has an element where you can catch up to people if you're close enough to them. So it really encourages you to be lazy the whole game and let everyone else <laughs> ahead of you do the hard work of cutting the wind for you, uh, the wind resistance. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they're also cutting the wind to punish you for being lazy. But Maybe so. Um, but you, ideally you want to hang back so that you're just close enough to them that you're constantly getting free movement to draft to get close to them. And it starts from the back of the line every time. So it's possible you have scenarios where everyone's super lazy and letting someone else blaze the path. And then they just compress up at the end of the round and catch back up. Um, so that's really fun. It's There's a real press your luck element to where you think, how lazy can I be this turn? I had one game where I decided to be a little too lazy and I was already in the mid to back of a pack of four players so we had eight total uh bicyclists on the track hmm. and i fell totally out of the pack and then just played catch up the rest of the game and got bit but yeah that was me the time we played yeah that, that seems right um <laughs> but yeah it's it's really great another element is the track is modular so it's kind of little puzzle pieces and i think you can they have several suggested tracks but then if you want you can build your own track and there's an element of just uh, the little kid joy of building the little road that you used to drive cars on and stuff when you're a kid. So, um, well, and the, going up the hills and down as well, that changes up the game as well. Right. Yeah. There's definitely an element of planning for a big hill that you can only go so fast on and then knowing, oh, I'm not going to go very fast down the hill, but I'll still get all the extra free speed from the hill. So it has a lot of tactical elements and, uh, it's just a really fun racing game. Cool. Yeah. I think, uh, the word for it when I was playing it was pleasant. It was just a very pleasant game to play. So That's my number eight, Flamme Rouge. All right, my seven has fallen a little bit from last year, but it's still in the top ten, so I still like it a lot. And it's Risk Star Wars. Now, this is not Risk the game where we're thinking of World Domination. No, this is just a poorly named Star Wars game, but it's basically <laughs> episode six in a box. 
And so you, one person, it's a two-player game. One person plays as the Empire, and they're controlling Darth Vader and Palpatine in the throne room, fighting against Luke, and they're also uh, controlling the bunker area, setting out stormtroopers to try and protect the shield generator, and then also they're controlling the Death Star out in space, and they're zapping the groups of... X-Wing and Y-Wing fighters and stuff. And the other side, the other person is the Rebels, and they're uh, doing the other side in all those conflicts. And so each person is trying to decide, should I focus on the fight in the throne room, or should I focus on the fight out in space? Which part should I do? And you're kind of torn between all three fronts because they're all really important. And... It's just a very tight, intense game, and I love it. So what represents the Australia in this game? Is that the Ewok village that you hold <laughs> and then expand out from? Yeah, so it's a very different map. So, <laughs> Oh, that's the other thing, is the map looks like a giant TIE fighter. Yeah, so there's actually no place you can hole up like that, unfortunately, Clint. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Australia, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Uh, yeah, so uh, Risk Star Wars was my number 83. I did like it. It is pretty light, but very fun. I'm not convinced it's balanced. I, I've i had a really hard time uh, winning from, from one side of that game, so not quite sure it's balanced, but it is a fun one. I would recommend it. I still feel that it's Star Wars in a box. Sure. So my number seven is the first game that's new, to, completely new to my list, game we played for the first time last year, a Euro game with a pretty unique theme. Do you want to guess, Melissa? Scythe? No, we didn't play that for last for the first time last year. It is Fresco, the game where you are working in a cathedral. You're a painter. You're painting the uh, chapel ceiling. You're mixing paints. Uh, buying paints at market, mixing them to make new colors, and there's all sorts of add-ons you can add. You can add things like uh, portraits, which are special ability cards, and there's uh, a lot more colors you can add in. You can add in things like lucky pennies in the wishing well, which somehow makes no sense in the theme, but is in there, and uh, other things you can work on artistically in the cathedral. Well, we got Fresco Big Box, which has all these in it. That's true. Good point. So, yeah, it's it's a, a hidden worker placement, or a, uh, I'm not sure what the term is for it, but you, you determine where your characters are going to go secretly, and then you all reveal, and so you're trying to figure out what the other people are going to do because you might want to buy certain things in the market. And uh, so you're, you're trying to decide what the other person is going to do. You're, you're bidding for turn order. And that's always a really nerve wracking decision uh, for how much you want to pay for uh, what order you're going to go in uh, to accomplish what you're going to do. And yeah, it's, I don't know. It's not a whole lot mind blowing in it. Just, a pretty straightforward Euro game with some neat little twists, but I don't know. It's it's that perfect middleweight for me, I guess. And with those, yeah, those other modules that you mentioned are in the big box that we got, and plus the theme, which I think is is unique and fun. Mm-hmm. 
I I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I feel that everything comes together pretty seamlessly in this game. And I think you'll be surprised to hear, Brian, that this almost made my top ten. Oh, I wow. considered it. It was uh, yeah, it's it, actually wouldn't have expected 14. That. Wow. For cool. all the games you have, too, in the Renaissance era, there's very few that are about art in the Renaissance era. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the auction mechanics as well sound like they could be... Uh, really satisfying when you right. guess right or uh, very frustrating when you think, I was going to go there and it's open. and Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yep, yep. And even even something as simple as I bought blue paint and then I bought yellow paint at the market and then later I mixed them into green paint that I used for painting. For yeah, some reason, <laughs> that's just really satisfying. <laughs> Not exactly sure why. But. I held on to my green paint and my orange paint. And then I mixed them again, and now I have brown paint right. or something like that. Right. right. Yep. Cool. So that's my, what are we on? Number seven? Fresco. So my number seven is, uh, fittingly, Seven Wonders Duel. What? Did you do that on purpose? So this may have been a last-minute shift around, and then I realized, oh, wait, number seven <laughs> is Seven Wonders Duel. Um, so this is another two-player game. Uh, this is... Another game that's sort of a cut-down version of a bigger game um, that's just Hmm. Seven Wonders. Uh, But this is a two-player game where each player is building out. uh, I think it's the mechanic is like tableau building or engine building. But essentially, you're building up like a base. And you can focus on different areas of your uh, like Roman era base. So you can focus on the financial aspect and markets. Or you can focus on production. or a few different areas, but the the main goal is you're trying to build up this city that will generate points, and then at the end of the game you compare points, and you do that by a draft mechanic where only certain cards are available each turn, and you go back and forth with the other player uh, picking which card you want, but every time you pick a card, it makes other cards that are underneath that in a certain design uh, available, so maybe you really need that card that produces stone, but... If you take it, you're going to open up that card that gives, uh, lets them buy stone really cheaply. And so you think, I really need that. So it's constantly a battle of drafting. And then some of the cards are actually face down. So you can't even see, oh no, what am I going to make available for them? I could, you know, totally ruin me. Uh, But despite that, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun picking, uh, you know, which cards am I going to take? Which, and every card in the game is, one you really want, so it's tough deciding what am I going to really let the other person have that I don't get. Um, then it also has a couple of mechanics that are there to keep you from just building a huge engine of points so you can uh, get military cards, and if you get enough of those, you just immediately win the game. It doesn't matter who had the most points. And there's similarly a uh, research victory as well, but it's a lot of fun. It, uh, it's pretty well balanced, and I think it might be uh, maybe my favorite drafting game I've played. I haven't played a ton of those, but I think it has a really well-balanced feeling of being happy with what you got, but then being crushed sometimes at what you let the opponent get. So um, that's my number seven, Seven Wonders Duel. Yeah, I've only played this once, and everybody really raves about it, and maybe it was overhyped to me. Uh, I do want to play it again. I've so far only found it to be a pleasant game, as you mentioned earlier, Brian. Uh, not a makes my heart beat faster kind of game, but you know, it's, it's a way to pass the time. It's not bad. It's it's certainly higher than roll for the galaxy. 
No. Yeah, I like Seven Wonders Duel. We definitely need to play this one some more. Uh, like the theme, and I think it's in my t- top three two-player only games. So, solid choice. All right. My number six moved up from last year. Last year was number seven, and it is Sheriff of Nottingham. So, all the same reasons that I liked it last year. I still love it this year. Uh, you're all... Honest merchants trying to get your goods into the market. And what ho, there's the the corrupt sheriff of Nottingham. And good day to you, sir. We're just trying to get our honest goods. And oh, don't don't inspect my bag, sir. Here's, here's some coin for your trouble. Uh, just let me go on my way. But I will give you some coin to inspect Farmer Joe's bag over there. Because I'm pretty sure he's smuggling in some some corrupt goods. And so you're all trying to bribe the sheriff to not check your bag and to check somebody else's bag. And if he checks your bag and you actually are honest that turn, then he pays you. If he checks your bag and you weren't honest, then you pay him. But ideally, you he doesn't check your bag and you smuggled corrupt goods into the marketplace. And you get a lot of points that way. So it's just a lot of fun. Made even more fun if you all agree to talk in bad British accents. Somehow, just role-playing like that is so much fun. It really brings out the cheese in this game. Especially when, if you're like my family, you really can't talk in a British accent. (laughs) You're just absolutely dreadful at it. (laughs) So half the game has just spent laughing at how you all keep switching into any accent except a British accent. I think My I've, number six, Sheriff of Nottingham. I think as well, every time I've played this with you, Melissa, I can't help but laugh sort of deviously when I place my goods up <laughs> and it causes you to be serially suspicious of me. So I become the most honest, uh, the most honest player because I can't help but know you're going to call me regardless. <laughs> I'm not very good at this game, but I love it anyway. Well, there's not much more satisfying either than looking in your friend's eye and saying, are you lying to me or not? And then being correct. That's, yeah, that's a really fun feeling with friends. True. Yep. Uh, I don't think I feel any different about this game from last year. It's outside my top 100. It's not a game I ever pick to play, but I enjoy it every time we play it. It's a wonder that you and I are able to have so much fun playing any of our games because apparently the ones I really like are pleasant. Outside, yeah, outside your <laughs> fifty, your top fifty. I like mo- almost all the games that we have. They're just not necessarily my favorites. So there's that. So my number six, I'm going to predict that it's on Clint's list. And it's a game that we've played with Clint, and it's a game that Clint owns. It's a game by Stonemeyer Games. I think it's my favorite Stonemeyer game. It's Viticulture, the game about making wine. And I'm not sure, like, there's nothing about the game that I can really pick out and say, this is why I really like this game, uh, except maybe how the grapes that you collect and the wine that you get ages as you have it. And so the longer you can hold on to your goods, the better they become. That seems pretty unique uh, from other games I've played. And I, I do really like that. Otherwise, it's 
it's pretty straightforward. You're doing a bunch of different actions related to making wine and, and growing grapes and um, selling those then. And I don't know, it, it plays really quickly and the board is beautiful. It's a really good, uh, unique theme. It's, I don't know, um, it always seems like there's a lot of things that I haven't explored, even though there's, uh, you know, it's not like a Feast for Odin where there's a hundred different things you can do, but it still feels like in just the two or three times we've played it that we've only kind of scratched the surface of it, so... Yeah, I'd be interested in playing this again if you want to bring it by sometime, Clint. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll definitely have to play this. I'd, I would agree. It, it may possibly be on my list uh, somewhere <laughs> a little higher, but um, it just visually, the aesthetics of it are really great and really compelling to me. As someone who doesn't care about wine or Italy or any of that, right. I still find the, <laughs> the theme is really uh, grabs me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. uses the worker placement mechanics with... Um, a way that it feels really approachable to people who've played a lot of board games or people who haven't played a lot of board games. I played it with a friend who he picked up on it and gave me a run for uh, for beating me like immediately. Mm. But mm. he also mentioned afterwards, "Oh yeah, this is a little this is a little heavier than mm. uh, some other lighter games that he typically played." So I feel like it's pretty approachable. And like you said, it has a lot of mechanical space. You can do a lot of different things, but it's not overwhelming or intimidating. I feel like so I really like it a lot. Cool. That's my number six, Viticulture. If you're going to check it out, check out the Essential Edition. So my number six is Netrunner, which is uh, a little different than some of the other games we're talking about. It's more in line with something like Magic, where it's more of uh, a lifestyle game, I think they call it, where Mm -hmm. to to really, really play it, you have to be hooked into a big community, and it's a big money sink. And I'll say that's probably one reason why it's all the way as low as number six. It's not something I can... Mm really with my lifestyle keep up with but um this is a collector a, 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 i guess they call it a living card game mm-hmm. um but it's essentially kind of more like magic um except that the sides are asymmetric so one player plays a corporation who's advancing agendas and trying to score those and the other player is a hacker called a runner who's trying to like break into the servers and get past these electronic countermeasures with their various programs and hardware um, and prevent getting brain damage feedback through the uh, (laughs) defense systems of the corporation. And the theme is just great. The art on it is great. Um, The bluffing is the corporation. You have full knowledge of everything on the board. So you can lay out traps for the runner and then have them come in and hope that was just an ambush waiting for you. And the feeling of putting down an agenda that you won't be able to score for a few turns and just hoping your defenses can hold up or maybe you've bluffed the runner into not coming after it. Um, it's a really great game. This is actually one I'd fallen off of a little bit because, again, of the time and uh, money commitment to be really tied into it. And then our friend Greg got a expansion box for it this year <laughs> that was like a campaign expansion called a Terminal Directive. And so we played through that this summer and it was... It reminded me just how much I like hmm. the game, given kind of a composed, tight scenario to run through without the feeling that you have to stay on this treadmill of all these releases. So it's a really hmm. great game. Even just the uh, they released a revised core set that uh, I feel like is enough game that you could just get and just play that hmm. if someone was interested and you don't have to get the 30 packs of whatever they've released. <laughs> but um, it's a great game. Probably not one that many people would be 
interested in sticking around long term, but even just the revised core set is a lot of fun. Hmm. Sounds fun. Yeah, this is one we'd looked at and like the theme is amazing. And I think it's a game that we would enjoy, but I don't know that it's a game we'll ever play for the reasons you're talking about of of how you get into it. But maybe we we could do something like how we checked out Magic for a couple games where we just uh, like you're talking about in a very controlled uh, the deck is already built and um, just kind of check it out that's that way maybe at some point who knows yeah i would say even again they they just released the revised core that is pretty composed so okay it would be something if you're interested uh, even just that you don't have to go any further then um so it's a decent place to jump in but that's my number six netrunner all right my number five is the same as last year it's alchemists a game that we don't own but <laughs> i love it all the same our friend Jay has it, and I relish every chance that I get to play it. It's a very, very heavy game. I think it's the heaviest on my list. Uh, there's just so much going on in this game, and I never feel that I've gotten to do everything I want to do, but you're trying, you're mixing potions, and you really have no clue what's going to happen when you mix this with that, but you're just, in the name of science, going to throw those two beakers together and and hope that uh, you don't get poisoned when you drink out of it. Uh, and so uh, it's just a lot of fun. You're, you're publishing theories about your, your research, even if you're not really sure that your research is correct. And it's, uh, it's definitely got a learning curve, but... It's worth it. It's worth sticking through to to get better at. That's my number five, Alchemists. I really like the the way this game almost parodies, uh, lovingly parodies academic life in general. There's <laughs> a mechanic of publish or perish that's pretty much blatantly yeah. in the game, and it yeah. includes the ability for you maybe to pontificate on as an academic with your you know, placing your paper that you're publishing and maybe everyone else says, oh, they must be really sure about their research they did and they abuse those poor, uh, the essentially grad students that they tested <laughs> the potions on. And it has a really funny parody of just academia in general built in with, a, I guess, a wizard theme. But um, yeah. I really like that and uh, definitely pretty, pretty heavy a little bit for the first game to get in to the mindset of was a little tough, but it's mm -hmm. a lot of fun once you do. And the deduction is a blast once you get used mm -hmm. to it. And even the app interacting with it and waiting to see oh, yeah. what answer is it going to give me? Oh, okay. Yeah. Where Wait. do I slot that in? I love <laughs> that. Yeah. The app is really great. You really need to play this game with the app. And speaking of uh, the board, which we weren't, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Uh, the board is really pretty, really good art on this game. Yeah, it's on my list at number 71, which is probably lower than it should be. Shocker. Should be a little bit higher than that, but I was just a little disappointed by the deduction aspect because oh. that was sold to me as like, oh, it's this heavy Euro deduction game. So I thought the deduction was going to be really in-depth, and uh, it's it's good, it's solid, but it's not like there's more deduction in Clue, for example. I'll just throw that out like I would do every year. And so uh, it's... I guess I was looking for more deduction than just heavy euro. So maybe it was just a case of misplaced expectations. So it is a good game. 
just not exactly what I wanted. I would say it's one of the few deduction games too, or usually a deduction game encourages you to be absolutely sure and you, mm. you know, you, you work on it until you're positive and you've hit every angle. And this is one where you're pushed to, well, you can be pretty sure. Your, yeah, yeah. Get out of your comfort You have zone. two or three options and yeah, make an educated guess. And that's an interesting <laughs> twist for a deduction mm-hmm. game, I feel like. Okay. Yeah. So dear listener, I hope you're picking up on the fact that if you like fun games, you need to follow my list. If you're just kind of an old stuffy shoe in a box, then uh, you're going to be like Brian. And if you like pleasant games, my list is probably the one for you. (laughs) You're the happy medium. (laughs) Huh. Well, if you're not really into games, I wouldn't recommend that you pick up Alchemist as your first one. And I don't think you would either, so there <laughs> so uh, number five on my stuffy list is seasons well i suppose i can how about that <laughs> so that one. yeah so the things you said and, and i already talked about too it's been up and down on my list i think it was as high as number three a few years ago it was seven last year up to five this year so uh really fun really like the card play and the dice and the dice drafting and I do wish it was a little less mean with some of the cards, but that's that's probably my only negative. So that's my number five seasons. So my number five is Pandemic Legacy. Um, if I had to choose one, I would go with season one, although I would probably make this an honorary placeholder for the franchise. We actually just finished season two recently. What? No spoilers. Cause... Yeah, so uh, let me tell you everything that happens no! really quick. But uh, unlike most board games, this is a board game that has spoilers. It's a uh, take on an existing board game called Pandemic that's sort of a cooperative. You're trying to hold this system in constraint while you work to finish a couple of goals together. Um, And in the meantime, you're just trying to hold it at bay enough so that you don't lose. And then they grafted on essentially a series of unlockable expansions and a story. And uh, it's, it's a really fascinating experiment with board games i don't know has been done in a better form since just yet um but it's it's a lot of fun it had some of the most exciting moments we've had oh yeah board gaming with some of the reveals um some of the really smart things it did with mechanics that you think oh how did they know we were gonna do this thing that would then turn around and be inverted so funny on us and Mm -hmm. um season two twists again even more Hmm. with some of the things that happened in season one that was interesting. Um, I will say, I think season one for us was a little, it's probably still having, it's still the thing that's done it the best probably, but season two had a lot of interesting new things it brought to it. And we still had a really great time with it. Um, Are you sure season one wasn't just better because you played it with us? (laughs) who knows who knows well and also i was wondering is season one better because it was your first time doing such a thing and season two you had such you already had the bar was set so high that it was really hard to so i'll say season two and it's not based on the standard game of pandemic quite as much so it Mm. kind of creates a lot of the same mechanics but it really does some original things with even the base gameplay in a different way that's fun, but uh, I'm not quite as sold on it being as great. And then hmm. we had um, we had a very frustrating in-game that seems like it's <laughs> probably a minority thing, but I read like the exact thing that we had happen 
I've read journals of you know other people's review of it. So Interesting. I don't think okay. it's a thing that happens commonly, but it's a thing you can get blindsided by that we still were happy, but there was kind of, I think it's the second game campaign game that uh, I played it with our friends, uh, Greg, Jay, and Wes. Hmm. And it's the second campaign game we've finished and then kind of had a little uh, roundabout where we talked about our feelings about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, as a second, it's not that common. So um, we still were all overwhelmingly positive about two. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. made your top ten. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, well, the kind of combine them both for this one. Yeah. Oh, okay. And if I had to pick one, it would be season one. But okay. still, the franchise overall is is my number five, Pandemic Legacy. Nice. Yeah. So this was my number season one, which we've played was my number two last year. I'll go ahead and I guess give a spoiler. I moved it off my top ten because we didn't play it at all this year or in 2017. So. I, I mean, what do you do in that case? So it's still, it was still a very fun experience. One of the best uh, board game experiences we've had. And some of the crazy twists and turns with the story were some of the most fun uh, moments that have happened. But uh, just having not played it all last year, and then we're not going to probably play season one again. So I, I, I moved it outside my top 20, just so I could mention other games on this list. But... Still, uh, like Clint is saying, very, very fun. Definitely recommend if you've played Pandemic at all and enjoyed it, definitely check out Pandemic Legacy if you have a group that you can play with 15 to or so times. <laughs> I would even say if you can even have one other person. Okay. Each yeah. person can play, I guess, one or two characters. And so True. even if you had one other person, I think it would be fun. But I would encourage at least two people so you have someone there to experience these Right. You know, the narrative evolving in front of you. You're not looking around an empty room saying, isn't this neat? (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. My number four is not a new game to us, but it is new to the list. It was not on here last year. And it is Dungeon Pets, my other very heavy game. So it's not as heavy as Alchemists, but... Only just barely, or maybe it is heavier. I don't don't know. know. It's It's hard to say. But it's so thematic. You really feel like you're raising some little monster and then uh, lovingly feeding and taking care of it so that you can uh, have it participate in these different little contests. And then you're going to try and sell it to these different fantasy lords and... I don't know. I it's just so thematic. I really feel like I'm in a whole different world when I'm playing this game. It's great. So that's my number four, Dungeon Pets. Yeah, board game geek agrees with you. Alchemist is a little bit heavier, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is with Dungeon Pets. Like it's still it's still on my list, right? But like you've mentioned playing it a few times, and I haven't felt in the mood, so that's why it's moved down a little bit for me. Still a great game. Still. Still a favorite, but since you put it on your list, I had to say something negative about it. <laughs> Y'all can't see my mood, but I hope you hear it in my voice. All right, so <laughs> my number four is another new game, game we played for the first time last year. Not a new game uh, for the world, but a new game for us. I'm. I think you're going to be surprised that this is this high in the list. Do you want to guess? 
New game for us this year. Well, 2017. Yeah, well. Do we own it? Oh, yes. I don't know. Tell me. It is Power Grid. Oh! By Freedom and Freeze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely would have. If I'd thought of it, I would have guessed this because I know you're very much in love with it right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really like Ticket to Ride, and I feel like this is kind of Ticket to Ride Plus where... You just have some very simple actions. You're uh, building your power plants across the map of uh, whatever country you're playing in. And you are uh, trying to outmaneuver people on the map. And then you're also trying to outmaneuver people as you're purchasing different power plants. And making the decision if you're going to buy the coal power plant or the uh, oil-powered power plant. And then that... Uh, interacts with the other players on what resources you're going to buy to power that plant and then you're always getting enough money this turn so that next turn you can spend all that money uh, put it right back into your infrastructure and just keep building up building up building up for that last turn of the game where you're trying to power all all the power plants that you possibly can and yeah uh very mathy so uh, maybe not for everyone in that in that regard but um, i think if you've played some of the beginner games like Ticket to Ride and uh, Pandemic and some of those, and you want something just a little bit more uh, thought thought intensive, then this is this is definitely one I would I would put in front of someone. And I've been trying to trying to get other people to play it with us as they've uh, passed through. So I don't feel it's too mathy. I do just fine with it, and I'm not a mathematical person, so. I think that's not a hang-up for anybody, if you heard that. Um, I would describe this as a pleasant game. <laughs> it's a good game, but I don't feel that it has as much variety as you are describing. Uh, like, uh, some of the games can kind of get samey if we play them, if we play it too often, too close together. So, it's a pleasant game. You know, if we haven't played it in a while, yeah, I want to play it again. But let's not play it too often. (laughs) This is definitely a modern classic that I haven't touched yet, but it looks like a lot of fun. The theme isn't especially compelling to me. Sure. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. We'll have to play it sometime. Definitely. We're uh, building quite the list of games that we have to play at some point. So that's my number four, Power Grid. My number four is Concordia. This is a game I think was on Jay's list last year, possibly. Um, so the, this is one of the many trading in the Mediterranean games. Um, this is a game that my feelings for have evolved since the first time I played it. It has several different mechanics that when you're introduced to it, it seems like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on in this game. And it's a game that really rewards uh, planning out you know, two or three turns ahead of time at least a rough skeleton of what you want to do that maybe gets influenced by moves between then Um, but then you look at the rule sheet and it has maybe two pages front and back and this is a game that I played with friends this summer and we were had played some uh, lighter games earlier in the evening and it got late but we still wanted to play it and so it was 9 30 or something like that getting a little late and I was able to explain the game to them really quick and get in a full game Nice. Even with everyone starting to get to that slightly tired point. So it's a game that kind of seems intimidating at first, but is uh, really easy to explain. It um, 
you have a handful of cards at the beginning and then you can slowly play those to do different actions and then one of your cards lets you draw up all your cards uh, back into your hand and it has a really it's just really neat the way you can build out an empire and you can focus on certain goods and you uh, there's one of the actions that you can take that rewards other people that are built in the same regions as you so there's kind of a weird synergy you can force other players to help you with and um Again, I think it really hits that nice point between it's it's got a lot of mechanics going on and a lot of like problem space to consider, but without being so much that it overwhelms you and like some of the heavier games where you think, I like that, but <laughs> I don't want to play that right now. <laughs> Which yep. um can be a different thing. So anyway, that's that's my number four, Concordia. Yep. Yeah, check that was Jay's number seven last year. And it's my number 12, actually. I'll just go ahead and say I really thought about, uh, like, the more I've thought about the game, the more I've liked it, and I just couldn't put it a really, I couldn't put it any higher than that, definitely, just because it's been a, a little while since we've played it, and I've only played it the once, mm-hmm. so it falls into that uh, Girl Bopala category, the acronym I coined last year, Girl games I really like but only played once long ago. <laughs> so I couldn't put it necessarily in my top 10, but definitely playing this one once or twice more, I could definitely see it moving up there. Yeah, this one doesn't even fall into my top 50, <laughs> and I haven't even made a top 50, but I already know this is not in my top 50. I mean, it's a map, and I love maps. The map is definitely a big draw, too. I know mm-hmm. the original mm-hmm. cover of it was pretty like notably <laughs> terrible and they redid the cover recently but then you open that map and you look at it and if you're a map nerd at all it's yep. like oh my goodness and i'm gonna get to explore this mm-hmm. i'm a map mm-hmm. nerd and i didn't get drawn <laughs> by the map <laughs> questioning your map nerd credentials apparently <laughs> i'm not handing over my card and that's final <laughs> that's my number four concordia All right, my number three has moved up six slots. It was my number nine last year, and it is Euphoria, Build a Better Mm. Dystopia. And we just got to play this recently, and I was reminded again of just how much I like this game. So the theme is you're kind of in a, not post-apocalyptic, but basically um, corrupt government uh, has seized control and, and... Uh, You've risen to power uh, to the point where you can overthrow the government. Now, you might have to do a few corrupt things, like you might have to make your workers just keep on working instead of take breaks and stuff like that. But it's all for the greater good of you overthrowing uh, this bad government, (laughs) and you'll, you'll do what's right when you're fully in authority. And uh, one of the things I like about this game is that, first of all, it's just really beautiful. The The production is great. But also, if somebody takes the spot that you're wanting to take, uh, it you don't get frustrated by it uh, nine times out of ten. There are a few slots that people can take that you might want to take, and now you can't. But... Almost all of the spaces on the board, if somebody is uh, goes to that space, then you can just bump them off, and it's not going to hurt them. In fact, it's, it's going to benefit them, because now they don't have to 
waste a turn retrieving their worker. And you still get to take the action that you really wanted to take. So I like that. Uh, I feel that almost every game is very, very tight. You get down to the last few turns and you're wondering who is going to win. And there is a little bit of a learning curve. Usually first-time players uh, don't do as well as people have done it before. But all it takes is one game. And usually after that, you're right up there with the rest of us. It's It looks like a lot is going on on this game. And there is. But it's actually really simple to learn. And so that is my number three. Euphoria, build a better dystopia. Yeah, this is uh, one of the earlier... Uh, games I played with you guys uh, after we got done with mm. season one of Pandemic Legacy, and uh, the theme immediately jumped out to me. Like you said, the the visual design of it is really great. It is a little overwhelming that first game, um, mm-hmm. and then you kind of realize, oh, the board is largely three different flavors of some of the same mechanics, and it right. kind of coheres and it becomes sensible. And like you said, the way it, I'm sure there's probably other games that do it, but the way it lets you still take the action you want, but you give a passive benefit of returning the worker to someone else mm-hmm. that's so great and the way it plays into your own decision of well there's two things i want to do but i think someone else might want to do this one more <laughs> so maybe i'll do that's it's just a great mm-hmm. angle to decision making so i really like this game too yeah this one's my number 13 and what? yeah it is not low on your list it was a little bit lower until this last time we played it and moved up and I think, like you were saying with Power Grid, how some games play out the same way each time. I think this one does play out mostly the same way each time, but it's just such a smooth game. And like Clint was talking about, the uh, bumping workers, that is such a great mechanic. I wish more games did that. And uh, the theme, like you were talking about, Melissa, is a whole lot of fun. So yeah, this one and Viticulture and uh, Scythe. Uh, all games by uh, Stonemeyer Games are really, really good, uh, really close for me. It, it is kind of hard for me to pick which I like best of those. Um, I did put Viticulture on my top 10, but I could see uh, those other two also uh, definitely deserving a, a high spot. So It was actually my interest in Euphoria. I thought, oh, I'm definitely getting Euphoria, and then ended up eventually getting mm. Viticulture instead because I figured uh, you guys had Euphoria, so... <laughs> Right, uh, mix it up right. a little bit, but um, Euphoria is the game that got me interested in Viticulture eventually. Cool, awesome. cool. All right, my number three—it's the same as my number three from last year, and it's Time Stories. And still enjoying this game. There is definitely still some uh, downsides with it, as far as if you uh, don't do so. It's it's the time travel game. You have a mission. You're going back in time or somewhere in time and uh, going through a story, making choices and uh, taking on the role of different characters. And there's always some sort of twist with the game, uh, depending on what location you're going to. And there's definitely that downside of uh, you're doing the same thing multiple times because it's that time travel. If you don't do your mission the first time through, you go back again. And uh, there have been games we've played where we just didn't feel like going back and doing everything over again. There was only one game. There were, it, was, was, it was really the Egyptian one. Yeah. Uh, whatever that one's called. Um, something Mask. Under the Mask. Under the Mask. Uh, so it does have that possible flaw 
uh, if you don't play well enough in your earlier runs. And, uh, you know, so if you just get stuck on a puzzle or something like that, I could see how uh, people might not have as much fun with that. But uh, the ones that we did this past year, I think it was the Arctic Expedition, right? We did that one with you, Clint. Was there any, was there a, f- Tim. was it Tim as well? Yeah. yeah, the four of us. Yeah, so uh, with you and Tim uh, was one of the best ones, I think, of the ones we've, of the ones we've played so far. I uh, really liked the twist in that one and uh, the uh, the theme there going to the Arctic and uh, trying to figure out what, what all is going on. And then the other one that we played this past year was the medieval... Lumen Fide. Yes, thank you. Lumen Fide, uh, the fun medieval-themed one. And uh, that, w- that one also really hit well for us uh, with uh, the... Uh, kind of religious medieval story and the uh, different uh, books. There's like three different uh, stories uh, within the game, uh, three different sections, I guess, of the game is is one thing that's different with this one. And uh, that really worked well for us. Uh, we did we I think we ran out of time maybe once or twice. Uh, but regardless, this was our best run through of the game. We uh, did really well, and uh, it was it was a ton of fun doing it with my sister Megan and her husband Josh. So uh, it's still a hit for me. Uh, I can I can definitely see if they stop putting out expansions for this, it, it would do the same thing as Pandemic Legacy and move down. Or if they put out some that we don't enjoy as much, then it could definitely move down. But for now, still my number three. Still really enjoying it. Looking forward to Estrella Drive, which is the next one coming out. Uh, we we just ordered that one, so we should be able to get that one played, and we'll see if it's still number three on my list next year. Yeah, I've only played, I think, two cases. I played the f- first one, the Marcy case, I think. Asylum. Or Asylum, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the Expedition, and I really liked it. One of the s- smaller things I liked about it was it has like a sense of humor amidst usually the horror <laughs> and the... Uh, suspense and everything um sometimes it's kind of crushing when you realize you've invested a ton of one run and you find out it's a man doing something <laughs> silly and, uh, but it's still that only adds yeah the, so the dead end quality of it can be kind of frustrating and then you have to run back through but right even still that it's just still ramps up the funny, sick humor yeah. of oh my gosh um so this is one it's I'm probably not as strong on it uh as you guys are but it's it's one i've enjoyed the two plays i've had of it anyway so my number three is Spirit Island. This is a new game. Have you guys uh, no, played? No, I haven't heard of it. Uh, I have heard of it, and I'm really interested in it. I looked at the Kickstarter when it came out, and I I did the the good Brian thing and didn't back a Kickstarter for a game I didn't really know if I would like. So I really want to hear you talk about it. Is it on our to-watch list? We watched a review for it. I think you were not interested in it, Melissa. And I said, I am interested. Okay. Sell it to me, Clint. <laughs> so this is actually one uh, that I hadn't heard a ton about, um, and I saw a review from a video, like a primarily video game, occasional board game reviewer, uh, Tom Chick, and he he had a section that said, uh, I'll just read it real quick, the tone is whimsical, but the specificity is lurid and violent. <laughs> Darkness swallows the unwary, crops wither and die, teeth gleam from the darkness, Hatred is granted a ravenous form. 
Sorry, did I sound like I was being melodramatic? I was just writing out the actual names of card powers in Spirit Island. <laughs> so that it's the game is very evocative. The premise of it is there's so many board games where you are a colonizing force that you have to go colonize this area and build it up. And oh, I remember watching this. Yeah. Right, and so in this one, you're actually a. Uh, there's an island that has thousands of spirits and most of them are just like oh this is the spirit for this one rock and this is <laughs> and so it's not really that powerful but then there's a handful of spirits that are still not uh, like a single deity form but they're strong enough that they can at least push back a little bit and there's an existing native presence on the island that came earlier and already had to kind of have a tete-a-tete uh, -tete with the spirits and they've come to like an uneasy truce and so these colonizing force has already come and they're setting up explorers and will set up towns and it has a very the rounds have a very deterministic flow where you know okay this turn these are the areas they're building and then the next turn or these first this is where they're exploring and then the next turn after that they'll build there and then the next turn after that they'll ravage the land and so you're constantly it's a little bit like pandemic and that there's this system that's actually even more deterministic than pandemic is hmm. that you're trying to keep at bay but uh, you, to do that you have a few different land tiles that have i think four different land types and you're one of a handful of different spirits and all the spirits are totally distinct and some spirits are all out offense so you're a fire spirit and you're just scorching the earth but you have no defense <laughs> and then there's another spirit that's an earth spirit and he's heavily defense and then there's some that are less straightforward that are focused around uh, scaring the villagers and so they can't really do much to help in the interim but they can accelerate the end game to just scare the villagers away and it it has a really interesting mechanic where you can either wipe them from the map entirely or you can just scare them enough that as long as there's no cities there can still be towns and explorers on the map and they'll still you've won because they're going to leave because they're <laughs> too terrified so you you can escalate the fear level to run them away um, but it's the one thing I'd say is it goes up to four players, but I can't imagine playing this with four players. Really? I've played it with uh, two spirits before, solo, and even that, it seemed like it could be very prone to uh, analysis paralysis of just mm -hmm. waiting and trying mm -hmm. to figure out because there's so many options. But it's really great. You start with each spirit has four distinct cards, and then you slowly build up your card abilities and your ability to play those cards and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's really great and the theme's kind of neat, but it's not, the premise could sound like it's a little preachy and that's not really the point of it. Sure. It's just kind of an inverted theme to be distinct from all the other games that mm -hmm. have the opposite theme. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I really like it so far and it also has some of the most variety I've seen in a box. Um, it has some expansion, I think an expansion, but even just the base game has, I think, eight different spirits that are each totally unique and each permutation of two or three spirits is a totally different experience <laughs> and then it has anyway a number of other escalations that you can really get a lot of variety um yeah i just i've really loved it so far so that this one may be one that drops or it may rise higher given a little more time but this has been a recent love for sure so that's my number three spirit island i'll give it a shot i mean i'll, <laughs> I'll play it if somebody brings it <laughs> we'll have to add it to the list cool yeah i'm even i'm even more interested now after hearing you talk about it and uh, I don't know if we've mentioned, do we mention Joe Wiggins on this podcast? I think we did last this episode. Year. Yeah, uh, just our uh, friend that we 
had played with that uh, actually has his own board gaming podcast now. And on one of his recent episodes, he talked about this game and uh, he was really enjoying it. So what is his board gaming podcast? It's called the Deep End Podcast, where he talks about really heavy games like what's like I think you said Alchemist maybe is the heaviest game we've talked about or Spirit Island maybe is now the heaviest one we've talked about. But uh, Spirit Island is probably the only one of the games we've talked about that they really is heavy enough that for them to talk about it on on their oh. podcast. So, yeah, like I think uh, Power Grid is one they talk about as like an entry level heavy game. There's like a stepping stone between <laughs> the games that we generally play and the the heavier games that they that they're more into. So, but yeah, yeah, check his podcast out if you're interested in in uh, those heavier games at all. All right. Well, my number two is the same as it was last year. It is Cosmic Encounter, <laughs> where everyone is a different alien race. So uh, every game is very different, and you're each trying to land your ships on five other planets. And uh, one of the great things about this game is that uh, well, first of all, the production value is great. You've got these tiny little alien ships, and the planets are beautiful, and the card art is beautiful. Uh, but then there are just so many things that can happen. You never, you you may think that when you go to attack somebody, you've got this in the bag. Uh, you've got you're coming against them with this overwhelming force. Uh, they've only got two little ships on this planet. Or, or no ships. There's no way that uh, they can defend against you. And then it just might turn out that they have got some stinking awesome cards or somebody else has decided to ally with them and they've got great cards. Uh, you just never know what's going to happen in this game. And I love it. Uh, there's great opportunities for bluffing and I'm always a fan of that in games. And trickery and deceit and uh, just... Everything that's great about gaming goes into this game. So that's my number two, Cosmic Encounter. I really like this game a lot. I feel like it might be one of the games that's more dependent on the group of people you play with than some other games. I sure. feel like um, people that have played before because it is important because some of the powers require players to balance them out maybe um, more than it allows Definitely. For, for players to make that balance. So if you have some uninformed or just first-time players... That can be a little tough, um, but yeah, it's it's a really great game. It has a lot of great interplay, um, and I, I also like that it's one of the few games that allows uh, multiple people to win if they're weasels. True, I know I weaseled <laughs> into one of Brian's uh, victories one of the times we played. I was just like uh, Melissa and uh, Greg and a few other people were like, "Don't do that, he'll win." And I was like, "But I'll win too." <laughs> and it's like, "But you won't solo win." And I was like, "It's okay though. I'm good to share." <laughs> Duffer, yeah, um, I will agree. Uh, it, it's pretty cool that you can have everybody except one person at the table win if you so choose. Uh, I will say though. This, like you said, this isn't a game for everyone. There are some specific groups of people. Uh, this just isn't their cup of tea. Yeah, it's definitely a little more complex, or it's a little more freeform. And I feel like yeah. some games have that rule system as a guardrail, and I don't know that this has that. Mm -hmm. But uh, with a good group of people, I think it's a really great time. Yeah, one of my favorite board game interviews ever was with 
Peter Alotka, one of the designers of Cosmic Encounter. And uh, the, the quote I remember most from that game is, balance is for wusses. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. Cool. All right. My number two, it was on my list last year. Moved up a little bit, but uh, uh, not really surprised, I'm sure. It is Caverna, the cave farmers. And Agricola was my number two for a long time. I still do really like Agricola, and I'm happy owning Agricola instead of Caverna. I don't think that Caverna is better enough to sell Agricola and buy Caverna. I'm no longer happy with Agricola, and I think we should sell it. We'll see. We'll talk about it after this. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. But yeah, I, I do like with Caverna the a little bit more freeform uh, nature of it to where you can specialize in different in different items. Uh, this last time playing Agricola, had, I think, or uh, a couple times ago, uh, kind of specialized in one area and at the end of the game ended up with a ton of one resource that wasn't worth very much and was kind of disappointed by that (laughs) um but yeah i just really like the the nature of the game uh where you're building up your uh in this case your cave and your your fields around the cave and uh trying to collect different resources trying to build things going on little adventures and uh yeah it's uh hits really well for me i would definitely like to play some more of rosenberg's games uh Almost got the opportunity to play Aura at Labora. Didn't quite get to play that one. Uh, and want to try Lahav and um, some of his others. Uh, we did play A Feast for Odin. Uh, I don't know if that was last year or the year before. But that one I thought was a little too much as far as uh, all the choices you can get. Uh, I think Caverna is a little bit, a little bit more in my wheelhouse with the number of choices you get. So that's my number two, Caverna. Yeah, I would say Feast of Odin is on my girl Bopala list. Um, I <laughs> yeah. like it a lot, but I do suspect if I played it another 10 times, I might like Caverna more <laughs> than a Feast for Odin. Um, Caverna is really neat. I like it for a lot of the same reasons that Agricola is great, but it relaxes a lot of the stress that Agricola <laughs> gave me anyway. Um, and it has a little more... I guess maybe humorous narratives throughout it where it's, oh, sure. I'm this troll and I'm, or I'm a, what are you? A, a dwarf. Dwarf? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not a troll. <laughs> I'm a dwarf and I'm, well, I'm just the dwarf that's farming out ore from my mind the whole right, game and also right. raising pigs. And, um, I don't know. It has a lot of humorous, uh, little narratives that can emerge from it. So I really like that aspect of it. It is actually on my top 20, but not my top 10. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It made my 18. Nice, nice. So my number two is Viticulture. Yeah. That's what we've already talked about. Um, yeah. Giving a lot of praise to Stonemeyer Games in general this time. But um, yeah, for all the reasons we've talked about before, this is a really great game. It's just complex enough that it can introduce maybe some less experienced gamers to some of the mechanics that other games might run them off of, I feel like. It's got a lot of space there to make decisions. And it also gives you that ev- the feeling even if you lose, you've built up this farm and it has uh, it goes the extra expense of giving you all these custom wooden pieces that every, you know when you build uh, hmm. 
when you build a mill, you have a little wooden piece that looks like a mill that you set on your play mat. And now you've literally built the mill or you've built the <laughs> inn or you've built a serving table to give uh, your visitors wine and make more money when they go on a visit. And it's, um, yeah, it's just a really great game. So, um, and if you really like viticulture, uh, there's an expansion Tuscany that uh, makes it even better. So that's also really good. I'll have to play with Tuscany sometime. That's my number two, Viticulture Essential Edition. All right. Well, my number one, Brian already knows what it is. Do you want to guess, Clint? It's a game already mentioned. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, It's your same one from last year, right? Yeah, it's the same as last year, Time Stories. Oh, duh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm still very much in love with this game. Uh, Now, as you said, Brian, if they have a few more that come out, uh, a few more editions or whatever that are kind of like the Egyptian one under the mask. This will probably drop for me. But so far, other than that one time, this is hitting home runs every time. And especially the most recent edition, Lumen Fide. That is my new favorite edition. Oh my goodness. Was that just an incredible journey? <laughs> and it had a moment where you have to choose do you want to take this course of action or not? And we decided not to take it. And then throughout the rest of the game, it kept on saying, Now, if you had taken this course of action, you can do this. And we're like, Oh. What happens if what would have happened if we had taken that course of action and then we got to the end and it turns out there's two very different endings for if you had taken that course of action or if you hadn't and uh it oh my goodness such such an epic ending on this story and I don't want to say any more for fear of spoiling but oh <laughs> did you my feel goodness. vindicated at least I don't want to say choice? okay. I don't want to say, but we, that I have rarely gotten so, such a thrilling, exciting feeling from a board game or from a movie or a book. I mean, this, this was, this was one of those moments uh, that it was, it was just wonderful to share with friends. So... Yeah, that's my number one, Time Stories. Nice. And did I mention earlier, the rumor is that this is going to be the last year they're going to be making Time Stories modules. Hopefully that's not true, but uh, that's at least some people's guess. They're going to switch more to their unlock uh, uh, escape room games that they have. I hope not, because I feel there's... There's so much that they could still do with this this game. And one of the things that I like about it, too, is that, you know, you've got each installment of the game, but very slowly there has been kind of an overarching story as well um, that kind of has tied everything together. And that really started to explode with this last installment of the game. And... It had like stuff that you can look up online, kind of this uh, almost like lost, alternate reality game kind uh, of thing. No, uh, you know how with with the TV show Lost, there were things that you could look up online and and 
theories you could explore oh, and sure. it, it kind of gets into that yeah uh and and it just it was like a whole new world opened up it was so exciting so well, hopefully they'll continue it a little I, while anyway I sure for you hope so give us if, if this is to be its last year let it go out in a blaze of glory oh man give me some really good stuff this year <laughs> yeah and i keep forgetting there's that that one website they have set up, the Time Chronicle, the timeagency.net, where there's like extra story things for each mission that you can go through and read. So we'll have to do that at some point. All right, my number one, it's still Cosmic Encounter. Uh, no surprise change here. And it could change at some point in the future, but still really like this game. Still has the nostalgia of being our gateway game. Still really like all the interactions and all the different alien powers and all the fun surprise moments and having that hand of cards and trying to uh, just make the best of, of whatever you have and manipulate your hand of cards and uh, just so many good memories playing the game. Very, very vibrant memories of <laughs> of games, even though we played years ago. Uh, still remember uh, some really fun moments. And so, for at least another year, it's my number one cosmic encounter. So, Clint, oh man, do you know what his number one is? I have no idea. Do we know what it is, Clint? Have you told us before that it's your favorite game? Uh, I think it's it's guessable anyway. It's guessable. I don't know that I've okay. told. Is it Scythe? It is not Scythe. Is it one we've talked about tonight already? It is not one we've brought up tonight. It's not one we've talked about. Is it one you own? I do own it. Have we played I, it with you? No, I don't think you guys have played it ever. Interesting. Uh, it's one you'll go, oh, yeah, kind of like I did with Time Stories. Yeah. Okay, I give up. I got nothing. My number one favorite game currently, and also my favorite game I played for the first time in 2017, Ooh. is Gloomhaven. You know oh, what I Man, I knew you liked it, but I didn't know you liked Whoa. So, cult of the New. <laughs> it, Whoa. it may be Cult of the New. I'll also say, though, this is a game I've played 38 times this past Whoa. year. Are you serious? I've probably played Gloomhaven upwards of 100 hours. This is Whoa. And a, like far and away the game I've played the most for a good portion of the year or the game group we play with, with... Uh, friends jay wes and greg <laughs> uh we largely just played gloomhaven for a big portion of the year and then we would sneak in we'd be like hey do we want to sneak in a different thing um but for <laughs> for uh anyone who is, hasn't heard of gloomhaven it's a huge 22 pound box of uh initially you have a pretty small amount of the content that's unlockable you have six characters to start with and i think there's another 11 or 12 characters you can unlock through various things you do in the game but um, that experience of working towards unlocking a new character is fun playing your existing character they're all really different and really unique spins on uh, kind of fantasy combat hmm. archetypes so my first character was a mind thief which was a small rat that could psychically uh, <laughs> control enemies so it was very fragile it couldn't take many hits but it could also do things like it could run in and then block a door and go invisible and no one could hit it so it could essentially be like a weird kind of uh damage soaking class in a, hmm. but instead of just taking hits it would just 
kind of prevent anyone else from taking damage. Hmm. Um, there were times we would open a room uh, and there would be a big mob of enemies. And then I would mind control the one in the middle and turn him to our side. And the whole room would attack the big powerful thing in the middle and not focus on us. And we would be able to pick out them and then they would also weaken. So it's just, um, and that's just one class. There's 17 of those classes that are all really unique. Um, Stop telling him about it. He's gonna more, want more, it. more. He's gonna want it for this year. I, uh, I barely restrained him last year. This is one that I heard about, and it was this big hyped Kickstarter release that came out last February, and it was very hard to get a hold of. Our friend Greg just happened to have a copy. He got through our hmm. local game store, uh, Gamers and Geeks, and I thought, eh, this will be all right. But this is, you know, I was thinking it was going to be something I might fall off of, and. Um, pretty quickly i found myself i i printed out the cards between games to get a better idea of like uh, so each each character you have a little miniature that you move around on again you have modular map tiles that you build a scenario with and then each character has a set amount of cards that you slowly play in pairs of two and that gives you the ability to do certain tactical things and there's this whole host of <laughs> tactical considerations that go into there's tons of decisions you get to make every turn and then you're, you know, coordinating with everyone else. And depending on who goes first, that's one of the tactical decisions you have to make with the cards you pick. And so you can't explicitly say, Brian, I'm going at 10 out of 100. Mm. But you can be like, I'm going pretty early and I'm going to do these things. And so maybe you think, okay, he's going early. So probably like on a 7. So you play like an 11 and or <laughs> a 9, say. And mm-hmm. then, you know, oh, no, you've mixed it up. So this is the, the, like, subtle communication between four players. It's one I've played solo, mm. and it's a lot of fun. But with four players, it really shines. Mm. Or at least with several players, it really shines. There's the moments of uh, our second game, I think, was one of the more neat experiences. Because initially, it's a little tough, and we played, and we messed up. And we're like, oh, we're not going to win this. And so we lost. And then we started another play of it, and... It wasn't looking good, and we're, uh, somebody was like, why don't we just go ahead and restart so that you know we can go ahead and we're not going to win this one. And I, there's not many times you get to give the quarterback speech <laughs> in life, and this is probably the least uh, impressive version, but I suddenly felt compelled to give a rousing, no, guys, we can win the championship. Let's go out and throw the Hail Mary. That's and, awesome. <laughs> uh, and we did. We won. And it was really, really cool and a real moment of, you nice. know, people coming together and everyone doing it. And also we got, you know, we hit the Hail Mary that got <laughs> caught that wouldn't have normally gotten caught. And it was just a really great experience. Um, so, yeah, this is my number one Gloomhaven. It's wow, definitely my favorite game I got. Uh, so as soon as we started playing it, like a couple of weeks later, I got it on the reprint that was coming at some point later this year. And mm. I got that in over Christmas and I set that up on one of the tables at our house and I haven't uh, taken it off the table. <laughs> since I've gotten it. I've played it wow. uh, five or six times solo since uh, we were playing Pandemic Legacy 2 with our group. So I had to still get a little Gloomhaven in on the side. But yeah, this <laughs> is definitely my favorite game of all time right now and I don't see it. Uh, leaving for a while wow so you guys you guys will have to come over and try it out sometime if you're interested the funny thing to me is that i haven't seen your eyes shine over any of the other games that you mentioned tonight (laughs) (laughs) if we were making tears this would definitely be several orders of magnitude above 
uh, all the other games that were mentioned. Wow. I did see tears in your eyes as you spoke <laughs> of this game. That's funny. Yeah, so the first Kickstarter, like you talked about, I looked at it and I thought about backing it and didn't. Uh, good Brian. And then second one, I really, really wanted to get it and really thought about it. And then the only reason I didn't was just us with where we are now with young kids. I don't know that I'd be able to put like 40 or 50 or 100 hours into one board game. So I did hold off on it, but this is definitely one that I want to do at some point. I would say that it has some pseudo legacy elements that people have talked about. And Mm -hmm. um, that definitely helps. And it's interesting with each scenario, but even, and they are linked and there's a continuing story, but it's not the same as pandemic where you'd feel compelled to, I have to get to the end of the story. Okay. Or at least it's not for me. Maybe um, someone else would have a different opinion, but um, for me, the story was a nice element, but it's really all about the tactical, you know, combat of each scenario. It's just mm-hmm. really, really fun. So even um, I think you would enjoy just playing a couple of games with me, if uh, if nothing else, and not a copy that you <laughs> own yourself. Apparently, okay. Yeah, no, that would I would definitely be interested in that number one game on on Board Game Geek right now. Were you pretty happy to see that? Yeah, no, that was one of the few uh, meaningless ratings by <laughs> anonymous strangers I was very excited by. I was like, yes, my feelings are validated. Uh, nice. Cool. Wow, I didn't know you were enjoying it that much. So, very cool. Okay, well, why don't we go around and uh, give our honorable mentions. Melissa, you want to give your 11 through 20? Okay, I'm going to count down. So my number 20, bottom of the ninth. It's a little two-player game. Yeah. Whoa. I I like this I one a lot too. Hadn't realized you never picked this one. I know, and I I'm I wish I did. Every cuz every time we play it, even this last time when I lost, it's so fun. It's it it's intense and it really does feel like you're in this high-stakes last uh end of the game of a baseball game and you're you're fighting to see, duking it out to see who's going to win. So that's my number 20, 19, Chariot Race. And it's uh, pretty accessible for any group. And, of course, you have to play the theme music, or not the theme music, the, the Chariot Race music from Ben-Hur, <laughs> uh, the Charlton Heston version. Uh, number 18, Caverna. 17, Balderdash. 16, Time's Up. I thought you'd be pleased by that, my dear. Very I pleased. like Time's Up a little better. Wow. 15, Scoville. 14, Fresco. My brother Tim will be pleased by this. 13 is Imhotep, a mm-hmm. new game that I played last year. And, oh man, this is just a really good game. Wow. Number 12, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Uh Long-time favorite, and then just barely not making the top ten, my number three from previous years, Shadows Over Camelot, is oh, now wow. number 11, did not make the top ten. Wow. I didn't even realize that had fallen off. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting. I was thinking about it earlier, and then I forgot about it, so that's crazy. Yeah. This last time, we just got slapped around so bad. It really... And then... We were playing with my my brother in law Josh, and he ended up being the traitor. And he was just, oh man, it was just a <laughs> sick feeling. Uh, we'd already started to be doomed before he even revealed himself as the traitor. But then once he started doing his traitorous things, it was like, oh man, there's just no way we can win this game. And we had to sit there and slowly, and then 
less slowly as the game went on, <laughs> be consumed by evil. And it was just, it was pretty awful and gut-wrenching. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to play this for a little bit. It was not <laughs> a pleasant I, game. No, it was not. But I still like it a lot. So that's my 20. My top 20. Cool. Uh, for me, it goes 11 is Scythe. Really like that one as well. Number 12, Concordia. Number 13, Euphoria. Number 14, I put Clank, a deck building adventure. That's my favorite deck building game. I like that one. That's another girl Bopolo, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I did feel like I only played it once that one time as well, but I don't it's know. Really it's really good. Yeah, it's everything I wanted uh, trains to be. Uh, the deck building with a board, but this time the board, the stuff on the board makes sense. <laughs> it's a lot more interesting, I feel like. So, too. yeah. Number, we'll have to play that one sometime, Melissa. You'll have to play that one. Number 15, Dead of Winter. Number 16, Time's Up, Title Recall, like you said. And that's my favorite party game. Number 17, Suburbia. Number 18, Shogun, game we played with Tim at the end of last year. Number 19, Matainai. And number 20, Tarki. Uh, I think that's my favorite two-player only game. For my 11 through 20, uh, 11 is Arkham Horror, the card game. Hmm. It's really, really fun. It's pretty quick, and it has a lot of the fun things from Net, uh, Netrunner, mm-hmm. but in a cooperative kind of story-based campaign. Uh, number 12 is Scythe. Number 13 is Evolution. Mm. Uh, I thought that one might have been on your top 10. Yeah, it was. I almost swapped it in for ten late, and I, I didn't. <laughs> but um, number fourteen is Istanbul. It has a really neat hmm. spatial mechanic. The way you move, and you have to know you're going to be tied to that move later on. Uh, number fifteen is Game of Thrones: Hand of the King. This is a really <laughs> light tile moving game that's really quick and a filler, but it's can be really really cutthroat. And I think <laughs> everyone I've played it with has really liked it. <laughs> Um, number 16 is Pathfinder, the adventure card game, which I've only played on the iOS version. Mm -hmm. Um, but I sunk a bunch of time into that, I think two years ago, just really liked it. Um, Onirim is a solo card game that's really uh, ingenious. Patchwork, uh, is a two player game. Alex and I played a whole bunch. We uh, really? liked a lot. Yeah. Nice, nice. Can we borrow that from you sometime? That's one we have on uh, iPad as well. So uh, okay. I'll uh, let you borrow my iPad sometime <laughs> if you want. Um, number 19 is Caverna. Hmm. Um, and then 20 is actually one. So everything else on my list is something I've played at least twice. And 20 is one I've only played once, but it, it's one that I've will likely buy at some point. It's Zia, which I know. Uh-huh. No. Yeah, no, no, you do not like Run. it, Melissa. Um, I've only played game. it once, but I, <laughs> this does I just, not even follow in, in pleasant category. This is, yeah, this is the uh, we had talked off the podcast a little bit about Dead of Winter, Clint, and you had said uh, it fell flat for you, and you're not really interested in playing again. Same thing with for Melissa with Zia. This game is broken. <laughs> yeah, we even the one time we played, we were going to play to some set amount of points, and then mm. three hours in or something, it yep. was like let's cut those points in half so we can finish this. But yep. yep. I almost didn't really care if I won or not, which I, I did not. Um, it was just kind of fun driving my, you know, it felt like, yeah, I'm a space mm. merchant and I'm just flying around. And uh, it seemed like it definitely has some possible flaws and I could see being frustrating if you're seeking a win. But um, yeah, I really liked it a lot. I certainly didn't care if the game, if I won the game, I just wanted it to, to end. <laughs> I thought it was fun. 
All right. A few things, a few more things before we finish up. You know, I like statistics and, you know, I keep track of all the board games we play. So I thought I would do a quick top 10, top 10 people we've played games with. So uh, if you cast your mind back to episode 15, we did a podcast about our friend Shane and all of his catchphrases. He's number 10. We've played 68 games with him. Clint is actually the player we've played ninth most with, 69 games with Clint. Uh, We've played 77 with Judy, that's Shane's wife. Played 85 with Charity from a previous podcast we did on jokes. Yep. And her husband, Justin, we've played 93 games with. Then for our fifth most played with last year, Jay, who did uh, board games with us last year, played uh, exactly 100 games with him. Then your brother, Melissa, Tim, played 144 with. My sister, Megan, we've played 147 with. Second most, my brother, Luke, 151 games with. And the most games, uh, mostly for me, uh, all of us, but putting it over the top, I've played a lot of two-player games with him. My brother, Zach, is the player we've played the most with, 169 games. I believe that list is incorrect because I saw that my name was at the top of the list as the person you've played the most with. I meant other than you and me, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap it up? I'm just saying I'm looking forward to the possibly unpublished podcast y'all are going to put out of top 10 reasons to uh, swap Agricola for Caverna or not in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'll do five on one side and you can do five on the other side. Sounds good. (laughs) Well, if you're still listening at this point, you obviously love board games as much as we do. So feel free to leave us a comment about the games that you like. You can go to our website, tto.cozer.us, at a slash 63. You'll go to the show notes for this episode. Or you can email us, tto at cozer.us. And we would just love to hear from you. We always love feedback from our listeners. Our next episode... It's going to be Top 10 Great Songs. So find out more next week. It's been great being on the podcast, guys. Thanks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Oh, look who's over there still. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's going to be stuff after the credits. But before we do that, yes, thank you for... Thanks for coming, Clint. It was a lot of fun. We've been... Boy, we've probably been planning to podcast with you just about since we started. We made a list of people we want to do board games with or, or some other topic. And you, you've been on there for at least a year or two, so... Yeah, I'm glad we were able to get it in. Yeah, it was fun. All right, so until next time, I'm Melissa Kozer. I'm Brian Kozer. And I'm Clint. And you've been listening to 10 to 1. All right, Melissa. Can you think of a game that's coming out that you are stoked to play that we'll be getting this year 2018 we already backed it on kickstarter oh yeah the wilson wolf affair (laughs) that was a softball i I knew you'd get there eventually (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i can for one thing i have a hard time remembering the name I usually True. call it just Attic in a Box, because <laughs> basically it's a game where you're kind of going through the attic and you find 
uh, these old boxes of uh, just random junk and then all of a sudden it starts to seem like maybe it's not junk and maybe it's all kind of connected and there's like this mystery going on here and and it's pretty pretty cool yeah maybe similar it looks kind of similar to like a time stories kind of thing but maybe a little bit more involved a little bit more puzzly so yeah back that one on kickstarter that one looks like fun and of course i'm excited about the edition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, and then uh, we also backed The Seventh Continent on Kickstarter, a an oh, adventure yeah. board game exploration yeah. that uh, I, I, I talked earlier about being good Brian and not backing <laughs> not backing games like uh, Gloomhaven that I didn't know that we'd be able to play much. Well, I didn't back that one, so then I felt like I was justified in backing Seventh Continent, <laughs> <laughs> which is also a, a longer, more involved game. I'm sure we'll find time to play it somehow. <laughs> this was actually one that I was waiting on uh, Gloomhaven and a few other things as well. And I thought, I really think this looks interesting, but I really can't add another thing that I'm waiting yeah. for on Kickstarter. So yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing about it from someone I actually know, though. Cool. Yeah, we'll have to let you know. I think it's supposed to come in August. So it'll be toward the end of the year. And then for games that we haven't bought and don't know that we're necessarily going to buy, but are interested in coming out batman the board game sounds really cool so uh we'll be definitely checking that one out next month when it's on kickstarter yeah no that one looks really neat too it looks like a neat is that the one that's like the conan mm-hmm. game but rethemed with batman and yep yeah that i seems think a lot they streamlined a little me. bit yeah even more so yeah and batman is a cool theme so how about you clint a couple of games i'm interested in actually uh the ones that were mostly why i didn't back seventh continent um um I think in the next few days going to get in hardback, which is, yeah. uh, I don't know if it's a sequel, but it's similar to paperback. It's a deck builder as well. It's kind of a scrabbly type uh, cross with a deck builder. Um, it looks really neat. Another one that's a reprint that is a game that's been out for a couple of years, but hasn't really been available is Argent the Consortium. Mm-hmm. This is a level 99 game that has... Uh, the art is a little bit anime-y, which isn't really my favorite, but it looks really <laughs> interesting. It's a like a magical university, and it uh, needs a new leader, so everyone's competing, trying to win favor. Um, it looks really neat. It looks really heavy and really cutthroat, hmm. so I don't know how long that will uh, last, how, you know, how the playgroup will take it, but it looks <laughs> really fun. Um, and then the cool. last one is Root, which is a... Have you seen this? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's on my list of games to check out, but I don't remember much about it. It's by the people who did, by the artist and the publisher who did Vast, the Crystal Cavern. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got that really great art style. It's kind of Watership Down-y, but then it's a um, kind of a cross with like a GMT asymmetrical war game where there's four or five different factions and they're all uh, fighting for control of a forest and there's birds and squirrels and it looks really neat. So I'm really interested for that to come out later this summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's one I know nothing about except, uh, yeah, looking at the box, and then it's the people that did Vast, right. which I also haven't played yet, but yeah, that one that one's definitely one I want to check out, too. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll see if any of those make, make our list next year. Maybe some new number ones in there. <laughs> you never know. 